That's what God does. That's who he is. He's a God of the resurrection. He resurrects things that have died. He's a God of restoration. He restores things that have been lost. And I want you to know, wherever you find yourself in life, married, single, or other, Jesus is the one that gives us a new beginning, second chances, when we give our life completely to him. Ephesians chapter five is where we find ourselves once again. Our last Sunday of this series we've called The Dance as we're learning to do the sacred dance called marriage. And Ephesians 5.33 tells us so much about the moves, his moves, her moves, as we do this dance together. And he ends this chapter, what I'm convinced is the greatest literature ever written about marriage, because it comes straight from the heart of God, through the Spirit of God, through the pen of the man of God, to all the people of God. He says this, Ephesians 5.33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now remember, Ephesians 5 gives us the theology of marriage, and that we, as the husbands, are to be a picture of Christ, and then the wives are a picture of the church that's you and I. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride of Christ, and everything that God wants to teach us about the relationship we have with Jesus spiritually that we can't see. He gives us a picture through marriage of one that we can see. But after he gets done with the theology, he ends it this way, just being really practical, practicality. You want to have a happy marriage? Just learn these dance moves. I want you guys, I want you to love your wives, even as yourself, and wives, I want you to respect your husbands. There it is. If I had one verse to give a couple getting married, I'd give them Ephesians 5.33. If you can just do this one thing, the Apostle Paul is saying, if you don't understand all the theology, just work this out practically, you're going to have a marriage of beauty. And so last week, we talked about this very thing. And we talked about what it means then for the men to love their wives well. And for the wives today, I want to talk about why he says to respect your husbands well. Now, when I was in school, we used to diagram sentences. You remember that back then? Did anybody love diagramming sentences? Like, I thought I could speak the English language well. There's one in every crowd. You know that, right? I thought I could speak the English language fairly well, and then I realized I didn't speak it well at all when it came to diagramming sentences, okay? So I'm not trying to do this to you, but I want you to see a diagram of Ephesians 5.33. If we're going to diagram this verse, it would look something like this. What Paul's trying to say is this. The husband gives affection, and then naturally the wife gives admiration, this is the cycle God wants to do in marriage, and we're learning about the heart of men and women. Listen, we live in a society that's trying to make men more like women and women more like men, but I want you to understand, God created male and female according to Genesis chapter one, and while we are similar, we're not the same. You see, a man feels love one way, and a woman feels love in a little bit different way, and that's why God says in Ephesians 5.33, wives, I want you to respect your husbands, and I want the husbands make sure he loves his wife. Now, it's not that women don't need respect, and it's not that men don't need to be loved, but it's how we feel that love. And so what we're learning is the language of men and women, the longing of our hearts is meant to do this beautiful dance. As she gives admiration, the longing of his heart, it naturally conjures up in him affection. And as he gives away that affection, it makes her feel more admiration. And as he, she gives away that admiration, he naturally feels more affection. And as he gives more affection, then she feels more admiration. And this is how you grow your love in a way that lasts a lifetime. 
time. Do you understand, ultimately, this is why you got married. You made lots and lots of deposits emotionally in each other's account. It's true of every human relationship. Uh, every human relationship, you either make a deposit or you make a withdrawal. Think right now about somebody that you really, really like, just some random person. When you think of their name, you have positive, warm feelings. And then there's somebody else, don't think of their name right now. Because you won't be listening to me for the next 40 minutes. You'll be thinking about them. This person did this to me. No, don't. So there's people in your life like this, though. Like when you think of them, you don't have warm, fuzzy feelings. You know why? Because they've made a withdrawal in your life. Maybe more than one withdrawal. You see, with every interaction you have, you're either making a deposit or you're making a withdrawal. How do people fall in love? You make one deposit after another into the emotional bank account. Listen, the reason you got married is because you made him feel admired, admiration, and you made her feel loved and cherished. I'm talking about affection. You made one deposit after another, and that's why finally you got to the altar and you said, I do, until death to his part forever. What happens then after marriage? You start making withdrawals. You start making more withdrawals than you make deposits. All of a sudden, she starts withholding admiration, and so naturally, he feels less affection, and when he ain't feeling the admiration, he can't give away the affection, and when she ain't feeling the affection, she dries up in her admiration. Now, all of a sudden, the cycle that was meant to work for you is working against you, and you're bankrupt emotionally after two or five or 10 or 20 years, and people who used to be in love are no longer in love, and it, I'm convinced comes back to this. Listen, I've noticed personally, gentlemen, in my own marriage, that when Krista is a little bit on edge, of course in marriage, when she's on edge, you're kind of on edge, and she gets a little bit edgy, and some of you think, oh no, Phil, uh-uh, uh-uh, not Krista. She's an angel. Yes, she is. <laughs> she is. But, 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 once in a while she gets a little bit grouchy. I'm gonna tell you, it's, the issue is not the real issue. Just telling you. In my own marriage, I've noticed when Krista gets a little bit edgy, grouchy, grumpy, I'm just telling you, the issue is never the real issue. The real issue is I have not loved her well. See, she hasn't felt my affection. Like, I have not given her attention. I haven't given her the time she needs to feel loved, right? And so that kind of all of a sudden, she, she's not feeling the admiration, and you know, then, then I'm not feeling the affection. And this cycle can work just like that, and as quick as a day. And then two days turns into a week, and then a week turns into a month. And this is how couples that were once in love, all of a sudden they feel nothing, or sometimes they feel worse. And so I want you to see that God is teaching us how to do this dance. As he gives away admiration or affection, she naturally feels that admiration, and, and it builds on each other. And I want you to see how last week we began with the guys. How can we love our wives well and give away that affection that God says she needs, the longing of a woman's heart, to make her feel cherished, to make her feel treasured? And ladies, I want to talk to you today, okay? Because Paul ends with this. Wives, see that you respect your husbands. Now, why is that? Why does he say, wives, if you just do this one thing, it'll go well for you. Just respect your husband. Now, I want you to see, the reason, once again, is the longing of a man's heart. It's how God made all the sons of Adam. The longing of a man's heart is to feel strong and powerful. Uh, listen, he was attracted to you because of what you look like. 
but he married you because of what you made him feel like. You made him feel like the man. I'm just telling you. Listen, he's a visual creature. He was drawn to you because of what you look like. But I'm trying to tell you, he fell in love with you because of what you made him feel like. And you made him feel like the bomb when he was around you, okay? I'm just telling you, you made him feel like el presidente, el numero uno. Like, you are the number one man in the world. This is, this is he's made, this is why he needs the admiration, of his wife, where a woman, you remember last week, she's created for beauty, and this is why women celebrate beauty. A man was created with strengths. Uh, this is why God said to Adam, I'm gonna give you dominion over the earth. That had to do with power and authority. Uh, he put him in a garden and gave him control and rule over the garden. And guess what he said? I'm giving you this garden and I want you to tend it and keep it, meaning I want you to go to war for it and I want you to work it. That means in the heart of every man is a worker and a warrior and a worshiper and a lover. He gave Adam a work to do. He gave Adam a woman to love. He gave Adam a will to obey and he gave Adam a battle to fight. And I'm trying to tell you that is embedded still in the heart of every single man to have dominion. This is why men are naturally competitive and we're made for conquest. And I know we live at a time, quite frankly, that sees masculinity as toxicity in society. We live at a time that wants to emasculate men. You know why? Because traditionally, because of sin, because of the fall of Adam, men have used their strength for oppression. But listen, gentlemen, God has given all of us strength, not for oppression, but for liberation for provision, for protection. And I want you to know that it's time once again to tell men it is okay to be strong. You're made to be a leader. It's okay to use that conquering energy to fight for your family. You see, we live at a time, I'm convinced of the disappearing male in society with an over 40% fatherless rate in America. Male passivity as opposed to leading courageously. And it's time to bring back some biblical masculinity to American society. I want you to see what that looks like. This is why God said, I'm gonna put strength in the sons of Adam. Because just like Adam's garden was going to be invaded and he was gonna to have to go to war, do you understand that every single day, your home, your garden is under attack and it's time for men to go to war? And see, God put that conquering energy, that warrior heart in the heart of every single man. You can see it from the moment they're just little bitty boys, all right? The need for strength, the need for power. Uh, just last week, I like to wander around out here in between services and just talk to whoever I can, greet whoever I can. And uh, just last week, there's a family that uh, was saying goodbye and, you know, little kids and, you know, this little guy, maybe five or six years of age. Uh, I'm talking to the family, look down, and I see him, and without saying a word, he looks up at me and he goes, <laughs> five or six years. What was he wanting to do? He, he was wanting me to affirm his strength. He didn't learn that. See, a lot of people say, well, this is all environmental, shaping influences. No, it's not. Environment shapes us, yes, but there are some things just embedded. He didn't learn that. God put it in him. 
He, he wants to feel strong, wants other people to affirm his strength, right? I, I have yet, I'm not saying it can never happen, I have yet to have a little girl walk up to me and go, <laughs> little boys do, that's how they're made. Uh, I'll never forget my youngest son's now 21. Before he ever said a word, he's 18 months of age, he's just walking well. He hadn't said his first word, he hadn't even said no yet. That's the first word kids say. Second word is dada. Third word is mama. Okay, maybe mama and then dada. I don't know. But it's those one, two, three. It's like, no, dada, mama, right? He hadn't said any of that yet. I see him toddling around one day around the house. He's going, pew, pew, pew. He hadn't said his first word, but he knows what a gun goes. There's a little warrior coming out in him. And somebody says, oh, not my little Timmy. I don't let him play with guns. Oh, yes, you do, Mama, because you don't know it. But when your back is turned, little Timmy is eating his cheese sandwich into the shape of a Glock 19. <laughs> it's born in. And our society can't do anything about it. All right, God put it there. Oh, no, we don't want a man. No, 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 no. He's okay. He's being exactly who God made him to be. He's made to be a warrior. He's made to be a conqueror. He's, he's meant for conquest. You see, God gave him that for a reason. And I want you to see that, that this is how men are made. And ladies, listen, I'm trying to let you into the glimpse of a heart of a man because it'll help you in your relationship with your sons too. Learning to talk to your boys, learning to connect relationally with your sons is how they are made. It's what they long for, to see strength. And every single day, he gets out of bed. He's got a mirror too, mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I man enough at all? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I strong enough at all? And ladies, you need to know that because a man will retreat from anything that makes him feel weak. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I man enough at all? Am I strong enough at all? He's looking at his wife every single day. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I enough for you at all? And he will naturally retreat from anything that makes him feel weak. He's got another mirror. One is his wife. The other is his work. And there are times a man starts to gravitate more toward work. You know why? Because that mirror is talking back to him, saying, man, you got it going on. You are the man. You got this. And you are a success. And you are significant. But then he comes home, and that mirror is talking to him too. And that mirror is saying, you're not enough for me. You're not strong. You're not man enough. And to see, a man will always gravitate to whatever mirror says, you got strength, you got it going on, you are man enough, you are strong enough. He will retreat from whatever makes him feel weak. And ladies, I need to tell you, it doesn't matter if he's six foot six and 245 and he can whoop just about any man alive. It, it, it doesn't matter. You, more than any other human being on the earth, have the power to make him feel weak. And that is why sometimes, relationally, some men begin to retreat. Because it's how he's made. He, a, man's, a man is made, he's got to have some swag. Right, he's, a man's got to have some swagger. God made him with swagger. If he doesn't have a little swag, he can't make you feel good about yourself because he doesn't feel good about himself. 
And so God gave him some swagger. Call it what you want, male ego. All right, he needs it. He needs to feel strong about himself. And so what happens too much of the time, guys, is that God-given swagger becomes, because of sin, it becomes arrogance, or it becomes narcissism, or it becomes all about me. I want you to see God didn't give it to you that way. He gave you that swag for a reason, though, because only when you got that swag, only when you have that sense of strength and power can you be the man God has called you to be. And ladies, you need to understand, this is how God made him. This is why Paul says, above all others, he needs to be loved, but what he really needs to be respected. Because it's the language of men. It's how, it's, 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 it's how men are programmed to respond with that admiration. Uh, while a woman is programmed for the affection, he needs the admiration. Women celebrate beauty. Men celebrate trophies. Told you this last week. You, know, you see it all the time. So uh, recently, picking up a guy from the airport with another guy. I don't know the guy we're picking up very well, but this guy, I'm, I'm driving the airport to pick this guy up with. I know him fairly well, and these guys have been lifelong friends, okay? Lifelong friends. And so I just made this notation. So they haven't seen each other for a while. Pick this guy up, and as soon as they see each other, this guy says, hey, there's the ugliest man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Ladies, I'm trying to give you a good guy language, okay? Let me translate. Man, it sure is good to see you. I've missed you. <laughs> now, women, you never think of doing this, all right? I wander around on Sunday mornings. I, I watch the interaction, ladies. This is, you would never dream of going, hey, there's the ugliest lady I've ever seen in my life. Come here. <laughs> Let me give you a hug. It's good to see you. Oh, it, goes, it goes something like this. Oh, that is such a pretty dress. You look so beautiful today. Come here. It's because women celebrate beauty. Men, men celebrate strength, all right? It, it's, it's the celebration of the trophies, the accomplishment, the conquest. And listen, a wise wife knows how to make her husband feel loved. Listen, he was attracted to you because of what you look like, but he married you because of what you made him feel like. And a man will fall in love and stay in love with a woman that makes him feel good about his masculinity, that makes him feel strong. And I want to talk about that today, how you can do this practically as a, as a wife. Respect him unconditionally. Respect him unconditionally. I want you to notice these commands in Ephesians 5.33. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. These are unconditional commands. I want you to notice that. And just like love is unconditional, respect is unconditional. I told you last week, gentlemen, if you will love your wives, even when they're unlovable, that unconditional love will make them more lovable. If you tell your wife she's beautiful, even when she ain't acting beautiful, I'm telling you, it will make her through the years become more beautiful, just like the love of God in your life has the power to transform your life. Listen, God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Did you know that God loved you even when you weren't lovable, huggable little you? Jesus died for you, and that unconditional love then changes you. That is the power of a man's love for his bride. There are moments, ladies, I know, you're precious and you're beautiful and you're special and you are an angel. But let's just be honest, you have moments in your week too where you're tired or you're stressed and you have a bad moment or two and let's just be honest, 
You ain't always lovable, sister. <laughs> Ladies, come on. Last week was his week, okay? This is your week. Now, let me ask you, in those moments when you don't act lovable, do you want your husband to love you anyway? Of course you do. That's true love. True love with conditions is not love at all. True love is unconditional. Like he loves you even when you're unlovable. Now listen, this is what Paul's saying. Just like his love has the power to make you more lovable, did you know your respect has the power to make him more respectable? Because I know he is not always respectable. I know he does unrespectable things. I know he acts dishonorably. But I'm trying to tell you, if you will show him honor even when he acts dishonorably and show him respect even when he acts disrespectfully, it will make him more respectable. It will make him more honorable. You see, you can't always respect his person, but you can always respect his position. And this is what you do, because ladies, some of you are going, you don't understand, my husband does this, and he does this, and he does this, and he doesn't deserve my respect. No, listen, I understand, some respect has to be earned, but did you know he is your husband, God has given him a position, if you would begin by respecting his position, I will promise along the way, he'll become more respectable as a person. It's the power of unconditional respect. So you start somewhere. If you can't think of anything to respect him for, just start with anything, something simple. Like, baby, you breathe so good. Wow. You're awesome. You're amazing. You're the bomb. Do that again. Start somewhere. Respect him for something. This, this is what... Peter is trying to say, same as the Apostle Paul. All right, 1 Peter chapter three, look at what it says. Verse one, he says to the wives, watch this. Likewise, he says, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. This is powerful stuff. He's saying, ladies, even if you're married to a man that does not obey the word, he's not a follower of the Son of God, he's not obeying the word of God, you need to know. Here's what Peter's saying. Ladies, words don't work on men. They don't. You're not gonna quote another Bible verse and suddenly transform him. Uh, you're not gonna quote the Bible enough times and finally he'll get it and he'll change. No, he won't. Peter is saying, listen, ladies, I, I, I'm a man. I, I is one. I'm, I'm trying to help you. I, I know what works. Peter was one of the few married apostles. He knows what he's talking about here. He's saying, ladies, words don't work on men. You want to change him by your words. You won't change him by your words, but you can change him without a word. When what? When by the conduct of the wives. All right, he goes on, he says this, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, that's respect, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on a fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. You see what the apostle Peter's saying? He's saying, ladies, words don't work on men, but here's something that does work on men. Oh, he was attracted to you for your outer beauty, uh, but he's gonna stay with you and be changed by your inner beauty. 
He's not gonna be changed by what you look like. He's gonna be changed by what you act like. A chaste conduct coupled with fear, coupled with respect, the hidden person of the heart of a meek and quiet spirit. What does that mean? Ladies, it doesn't mean you're weak. No, you're strong too. God has put strength also in you, but you need to understand what is meek? To have a meek spirit is not a weak spirit. To be meek is strength under control. It's power under control. When you have the spirit of humility and this quiet spirit, he says that's what's gonna change your husband, that's what's gonna change a man. Even when he's not obeying the word, you without a word can change him simply by what you do and what he sees, not what you say. So Solomon puts this a different way. Solomon, who wrote most of the book of Proverbs. Solomon, who had 700 wives. He's called the wisest man that ever lived. He had 700 wives. There are some mysteries in the Bible I, even I can't figure out, okay? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But he knows what he's talking about. 700 wives. All right, here, here's what he says in Proverbs. He puts it this way, verse 15, chapter 27. He says this, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. He had 700 wives. There's a lot of dripping going on in his house. <laughs> you ever had a drippy faucet? You lay down at night and it's a constant drip. Drip, 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 drip. What do you want to do with a drippy faucet? Turn it. Ladies, you ever notice sometimes your husbands turn off? You know why? Because they can't turn you off. I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm trying to help you. He's turned off, he won't talk. He's retreating, yes he is, it's a drippy faucet. He'd turn it off if he could, but he can't, so he just turns off. Now, I know you're trying to help him. Listen, gentlemen, we need to learn that God has given us a help meet, Genesis 2.18. Our wives are given by God to help us, and it's our wives that have the power to speak truth into our lives. Most of the time, not all the time, they're right. Just being honest. They're gonna say things that we need to hear, whether or not we need to hear it, and that's why God gave them to us. They are a picture of the Holy Spirit, why we, according to Ephesians 5.25, are a picture of God the Son. You need to listen. But ladies, here's what I want you to see. At some point when you become a drippy faucet, you're trying to win him with words, and you can't win him with words. What do you do? It's time to turn the faucet off. Pray for him. There's not one more thing you're going to say that's going to change him. So last week, actually not last week, several weeks ago, I keep referring to Chelsea Glover's message. She spoke specifically to the women here from Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, written specifically to the wives. And so Chelsea, as a wife, articulated those verses so well. And she said something that really stuck out. She said, nag. Women have a way of being a nag. What does it mean? Never any good. Don't be mad at me. Chelsea said it. 
How do you know when you're becoming a nag? Well, it goes something like this, ladies. You say something one time, it's probably true, and he needs to hear it. He doesn't change. You say it again a second time. He still doesn't hear it. He doesn't change. The temptation is to say it over and over again until he finally changes it. Here's what I want you to see. After about the third time, fourth time, you're becoming a nag. That's the drippy faucet. That is time without a word to pray for him so that the Spirit of God can change him something you can never do no matter how many times you might say it. And I want you to see that this is why respect unconditionally is so powerful. If you will respect him, even when he's not being respectable, it has the power to make him more respectable. Now, the second thing is this, encourages conquering energy. Uh, There's conquering energy in him. Remember, he falls in love and stays in love with a woman that makes him feel strong and good about his masculinity. And God has put in the heart of every man, all the sons of Adam, this conquering energy, this need for conquest. That's why he's willing to take risks. He's going to live a little bit dangerously. Uh, and, and, and again, as a mom, if you know this about your son, it's going to help you relate to your son. As a wife, if you know this about your husband, it's going to help you relate to your husband. You can see this conquering energy, even in little boys. So years ago, we're down at Grand Lake of the Cherokees in Oklahoma on family vacation. My kids were still small. And uh, my oldest son, I think, was maybe eight, somewhere in there, right? And we're sitting on the dock, and I'm reading this book. It's been out a long, long time but it was articulating this very thing I'm now telling you. It's called Wild at Heart. Some of you may have heard of this book, read this book, good book, good read, been a long time. But I'm reading about this very thing that I'm now articulating to you. A man's wild at heart. Don't try to restrain him. He's, he's born to run, right? And so my youngest or my oldest son, who's maybe eight or nine at the time, He's running off the end of the dock, jumping into the water as I'm reading this book. And I'm kind of only half paying attention. And uh, he would jump in the water. He'd look up and say, hey, Dad, did you see that? And I'd barely look up and say, yes, son, that was great. And I'd go back to my book. And he'd go back and do it again. And hey, Dad, did you see that? And I'd hardly look up. Hey, uh, that was good, son. I'd go back to my book. And then I got to the point in the book where it's articulating this very thing, his need for affirmation, his need to feel strong and to be released in this conquering energy. And the same thing happened. He goes running off the end of the dock. He jumps in. Hey, dad, did you see that? Only this time I put my book down. I jump out of my lawn chair and I said, Jake, that was awesome. You are the man. And you would not believe how this little eight-year-old lit up. I'm telling you, he finally got the response he had wanted all along for dad to affirm his strengths. You see in the heart of every man, I don't care if he's 45, 55, 65, 75, 85, he's still that little boy going. (laughs) Ladies, that means every day you need to feel his muscles. I'm kidding. (laughs) But every day in some kind of way, you need to affirm his strength, that conquering energy. Uh, When he takes risks, I know it's hard. Uh, When he does something a little bit dangerous, uh, that that trophy that he brings home, whatever it is, you know, this is November deer season, you probably don't care how big a buck he shoots, but when he shows you the picture, act like you do. (laughs) 
When he comes home having shot his best golf game ever and he's trying to celebrate this great victory, he shot his best golf game ever, he knocked two strokes off his best score ever, he came home and he announces, baby, I shot a 92 today. <laughs> Honey, I'm so proud of you. All right, that, that's what you do. This is what, celebrate that conquering energy with him. Uh, number three is this, affirm his strength verbally. Yeah, I know he's got negative qualities. I know he has weaknesses, but he has strengths too. And there is a reason why somewhere along the way, decades ago, they started putting women on the sidelines of football games, calling them cheerleaders. You know why? Because somebody figured out a long time ago, men love to be cheered for by women. It motivates them to get back on the field again, do it again. I'm trying to tell you, a man is more motivated, not through condemnation, but rather through affirmation for cheering for him. And so I know he has negative weaknesses, but if you will celebrate his strengths more than you point out his weaknesses, I will promise you, he will respond in such a way as to become the man you need him to be. This is how a man is made. Listen, ladies need to be told they're beautiful every single day. Gentlemen, you need to tell your wife, baby, you are beautiful. I watch one of you do it right now. You're awesome. Guys, right now, go ahead, let's do this together. Honey, you are. This was gonna be a five-week series and we're just now made it a 10-week series, okay? <laughs> Gentlemen, right now, baby, you are. You're beautiful. Now, ladies, go back and say, honey, you are. Awesome, that's a great word, awesome, handsome. The bo oh yeah, stop right there, some of you starting to kiss, not here, okay? <laughs> well, just hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Affirm his strengths verbally. He need, your words are powerful. Did you know John th uh, James chapter three tells you the power of life is in the power of your mouth. The words you speak have the power of life and death. Your words either give life to your marriage or your words take life from your marriage. Ladies, use your words to give life, not take life. And then number four is this, res uh, respond to him sexually. I told you last week, a woman connects emotionally with a man through time together, talking together, talking deeply and intimately, a woman is made to respond verbally. But listen carefully, while we're similar, we're not the same. Women are naturally more relational. God put something called oxytocin in your brain. It's a bonding agent. And women naturally have 10 times this bonding agent in their body as men. And science has shown the only time this oxytocin, this bonding agent in a man's brain reaches the levels of a woman is during sexual intercourse. It's Genesis 2.24, man shall leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. That word in the Hebrew, cleaving, this is what happens through sexual intimacy. There is a cleaving, there is a bonding, there is a gluing that happens. And that's why sex is so important to him, yes? Physically speaking, he has 10 times the testosterone in his body than you do, but it's so much more than something physical for a man. It's emotional for a man. 
And he cannot connect emotionally apart from this part of your life physically. Now listen, I'm your pastor and I care about you and I happen to know that there is a lot of people here that this is an area of shame and pain. Satan is a counterfeiter of all that is of God and all that is good and we live in a society of much brokenness sexually. We live in a pornographic society that has fostered a culture of perverts and a culture of prisoners and a culture of predators. And some of us have been preyed upon. And Satan has stolen because of sin committed against you, perhaps sin committed by you, something stolen has been taken from you, something precious. And today, I'm telling you, it's time to begin taking it back. It is time to take back some stolen territory in your life that God has given you within marriage. It's that important that you let God begin to recover something within your marriage that Satan has stolen. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Again, Bible is so pragmatic, so practical. Listen carefully. He says this, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality. In other words, what he's about to say, he's saying because of a culture of sexual immorality. It was true in the first century. It is true today in the 21st century. We live in a culture of sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It is any sexual gratification outside of marriage. Pornography is sexual immorality. It's a counterfeit reality. Marital infidelity, adultery, is sexual immorality. It is a counterfeit reality. Listen carefully. Larry Carter was in an affair. You heard his story. Here's what's amazing about Larry and Debbie's story. Debbie won him back exactly as Peter said, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, without a word. Do you notice that? He was changed by what he saw, not what she said. I want you to know an affair, adultery, doesn't have to be the end of your marriage. God can put the pieces back together again. But listen carefully, if you're in one, if you're having one, you need to know that true love is never born out of an affair. Because true love never takes, it only gives. An affair is taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's called stealing. You're stealing affection that's not yours. You're giving away something that's not yours to give. God won't bless it, he can't bless it. An affair may feel like intimacy, but what it is is intensity and they're not the same thing. It is a counterfeit reality. This is why Paul is now writing this, because of sexual immorality. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her and likewise also the wife to her husband. And when Paul uses this term affection, he's not talking about a little peck on the cheek, if you know what I'm saying. He's talking about your sexual relationship. Is not only 
a privilege in marriage. It's a responsibility we have to each other is what Paul is teaching. He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. He says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your self, lack of self-control. You understand what he's teaching here? Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to create a counterfeit reality in you. He wants to tempt you. Do you understand that Satan is your enemy? And when you're single, he wants you to have lots and lots of sex with lots and lots of people because he knows that your disobedience will foster dysfunction one day when you're married. But once you're married, he wants you to have any sex. So he turns that on his head. And what Paul is saying is one of the ways we protect each other in marriage is by rendering to each other as a husband and a wife the sexual relationship that God made that is both sacred and check this out regardless of what our society says God wants you to have red hot monogamous sex did he just say that I'll say it again if you want me to what God wants in your marriage. You know, the world says, oh, the best sex is outside of marriage. No, 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 no. I will promise you, God says the best sex. I mean, the deepest, most intimate, most joy-filled, most pleasurable you'll ever, ever have are two people that's been doing this dance together for decades. That's what God wants for your life. Ladies, respond to him. I know for some of you, you've been hurt by this. But I will promise if you let God begin to heal your heart, it'll begin to heal your marriage. And you'll begin to connect on a level maybe you haven't in a long, long time. I want you to do something as we end this series today. There is a stationery we have made. It says this, to my dance partner. You can get them up here on the platform. You can get one on the way out as you leave. They're on the table. I want you to write a love letter to each other today. You know, in the early days, you did this, didn't you? I remember in the early days, Chris and I would actually write to each other. I mean, snail mail. This is the olden days. Now we just text each other. That's cool. You know, email, that's fine. But you know, there is power in the pen. The old adage says the pen is more powerful than the sword. Some of you have used the sword on each other for far too long. It's time to use the power of the pen. Today, I want you to grab one of these on your way out as we end this series. I want you to use these phrases, I love you. You write what's next. I want you to use this phrase today, I'm thankful for you because you write that. I'm thankful for you. I want you to use this phrase, I promise to. Listen, you made promises to each other the day you said I do. And some of us need to say them again, I promise to. Some of us need to use this phrase, I'm sorry. I apologize, will you forgive me? 
both men and women today try the power of the pen because I'm trying to tell you the question is not will your marriage work the question is always will you work your marriage and if you will I promise you it will work question is are you willing to work Jesus I pray for every person here every couple especially every married person God you know every detail of our life and Jesus I pray that today would be the day that you would begin a resurrection in some of our hearts restoration in some of our homes that Jesus we could do this dance till death do us part in a way that glorifies you in a way Jesus that deeply deeply magnifies your love for us as we learn to love each other the way you've loved us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you give Jesus the glory today? Praise him, would you? Hey, guys, I love you a whole, whole bunch. I really do. There's a bunch of folks down here, pastors and counselors. Some of you ought to walk this way to take the next steps of your life. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. That's why they're here. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.